Recovery Elevator, episode 446. Everything that is good in my life today is in my life because alcohol is not. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Paul Churchill, and I am so excited to be here with you today. Listeners, I want to say thank you to all of our Cafe Ari chat hosts. You guys do such an incredible job. And today is going to be a good day. In fact, today has already been a good day. Calling Cafe Ari members in the D.C. area, we've got to meet up tomorrow on Tuesday, September 5th. Go to the Cafe Ari member site to get more information, where we're meeting, the details, directions, address, all that stuff, and I'll see you there. I want to reintroduce an incredible alcohol-free beverage. Well, more specifically, the delivery method. This weekend, I was doing some yard work on a hot summer day and had the most satisfying alcohol-free beverage experience. Now, a drink isn't just the liquid contents. Let's not forget the delivery method, the water temp, and knowing where it comes from. Ladies and gentlemen, let's put our hands together for the garden hose. (laughs) What's up, childhood? And listeners, before we get any further, let's hear from a great sponsor, Soberlink. Did you know there are 15 million people in the United States with an alcohol use disorder? And yet, there's still a stigma that surrounds addiction and recovery. We need to stop being ashamed and start sharing in our sobriety. That's why we're so excited to have a sponsor like Soberlink who shares in our beliefs. If you haven't heard of Soberlink Alcohol Monitoring System, it's the perfect accountability tool for those in recovery. It can help you rebuild trust and get back on track despite slips or relapses. We've teamed up with Soberlink to provide you with tips for handling a relapse, which is a guide that can be downloaded at www.soberlink.com forward slash recovery dash elevator. On that page, you'll also find a form to sign up for a $50 off promo code for you or a loved one who is ready to take the next steps in their recovery journey. Okay, let's get started. Listeners, some of my introductions are more complex. I've referred to distant constellations, laws of quantum science, the teaching of Eckhart Tolle, but the message in today's intro is simple. Go easy on yourself. That's it. Be kind to yourself. Be kind to yourself in the morning, on the drive to work, as you interact with others throughout the day, and go easy on yourself before drifting off to sleep. I'm currently reading Sapiens by Noah Yuval Harari for the second time, and there is a clear point the author is trying to make about the history of humanity. That is, despite all of our agricultural, scientific, and technological innovations, today is the hardest time it has ever been to be a human being. Rates of addiction and overdoses are soaring. In my opinion, these are representations of an environment that is out of whack. Dr. Gaber Mate's latest book, The Myth of Normal, shows how our out-of-balance culture is creating mountains of unrest and disease. Spiritual teacher Eckhart Tolle says that we have labeled our society as normal, but in reality, how we are living is absolutely crazy. Listeners, simply put, we are in pain. All of us. Again, go easy on yourself. Now, I know humanity will right the ship. You ditching the booze and cleaning up your own internal pollution is part of the answer. But please, go easy on yourself. Being a human being is rough sometimes, to say the least. The Buddha left a life of riches and wandered the earth for six years before enlightening under a fig tree. When he came back, this was his principal message. Life is suffering. Let me remix that. Life is a daily punch in the goat blocks. The Buddha continues to say that all attempts to avoid this suffering only results in more suffering. So life is a daily challenge, and sometimes it crescendos into a seemingly insurmountable challenge. Now, I don't think that's a pessimistic outlook, but reality. Because on the flip side of that, life can also be great. It is great. In fact, today has already been a good day. But by signing up for a human life, you are going to get punched square in the goat blocks at least a couple times a day. I try to read for 30 minutes before I start my day. This morning, I spilled a full cup of coffee onto my couch. Again, right in the goat blocks. Living in the modern world without barbiturates, tranquilizers, tinctures, or liquids that slow down the activity of the prefrontal cortex is even harder. 
but using alcohol to numb the human condition only makes it worse. Now true, for some, they can drink with impunity, or at least it seems that way. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about this. But for us, those listening today, living life without alcohol is an extra challenge at first, but it pays major dividends later down the road. Concepts such as resilience and going with the flow come to mind. Again, go easy on yourself, listeners. Life is going to kick your ass at some time or another. Don't let that Bruno voice inside the head make it any worse. Once that voice starts chirping about how you should have done X, Y, and Z different and how you're doomed for the rest of your life, locate the true you, your true voice, and tell that Bruno voice to step aside and you'll take it from here. Now, you may need to have to do this a couple hundred times a day. So life is tough, but we need to know the sour to know the sweet. They can also both exist at the same time. I've seen wonderful sunsets on ocean bluffs in Costa Rica, while the Bruno voice is convincing me I should sit closer to the edge and the world is better off without me. Nonsense, Bruno. Step aside and shut the fuck up. Again, go easy on yourself. Humanity, all of us, we are going through a major transformation at the moment. One so big that scholars thousands of years from now will look back and say, my goodness, those were some true warriors. Again, please go easy on yourself. Be sure to start your day with words of compassion. Compassion for you, those nearest to you, the animals outside your window, and for those who are still struggling with alcohol. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed this intro. Again, this one is simple. Go easy on yourself. And now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp, before we hear from Jonathan. In sobriety, one of the things that we start healing is the relationship we have with our sleep. However, even though we feel physically better due to not drinking, we may still be struggling with racing thoughts and anxiety as we are trying to unwind and fall asleep. Have you ever gotten to bed in early only to get up to write things down as your mind is racing and you don't want to forget all of your to-dos for the next day? I notice that when I incorporate therapy into my week, I can give a place to all of my thoughts and work through them during my session, allowing myself to take things one at a time. And I just find more peace that way, more peace of mind. If you're thinking about starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get a break from your thoughts with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com Elevator today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot Elevator. Recovery Elevator, please help me welcome Jonathan to the show. Jonathan, how's it going today? Great, man. Good to see you. Great to be here with you. Yeah, good to see you too. Thanks for coming on. Uh, can you let listeners know how long you've been sober? Yeah, I've been sober since May 17th of 2008. So a couple months ago, just had my 15th birthday. Happy belated. That's Thank pretty, you. pretty impressive, dude. 15 years. That's no small feat. How does it feel? It feels great. And, you know, I mean, 15 is a good milestone. and um, so, I, you know, I, I took a little time with my wife to celebrate and relax a little bit, but it, it feels great. And I, I mean, every day feels a little bit better, it feels like, but it's, it's crazy to think that it's been that long, to be honest with you. It feels like yesterday that, uh, you know, I was battling this, but a lot's happened in that last 15 years too, a lot of positive things. So it, it, it feels really great. That's awesome. I'm glad that you guys took some time to celebrate that's after my first year, that was something that we started to do is just like celebrate as a family. Cause this is a, it's a family victory. It's a family thing. And it's absolutely, I mean, as much as we put the people in our lives through it's, it's, it's exactly. as much a celebration for them as well. hundred uh, percent. Well, that's awesome, dude. Before we get into it, can you let listeners know a little bit about yourself, uh, where you're from, what you do for a living age, married kids, anything like that? And yeah. most importantly, what do you like to do for fun? Yeah, absolutely. I'm 44 years old, live uh, in Grand Forks, North Dakota, born and raised here. This is home. My family's still here. For work, I uh, 
got a few things that I do. Um, I my my night job, I like to say, is I've I've been in uh, the restaurant business basically my entire adult life. So I own a couple of restaurants and um, and a coffee shop. But my day job uh, is I get to uh, work in this space, which is like the coolest thing ever. I'm sure we'll get into a little bit more, but I am the managing director for the Office of Recovery Reinvented for the state of North Dakota. So we are an office that uh, is dedicated solely to eliminating the shame and stigma of the disease of addiction in the state of North Dakota and the region. So that's what I get to work on uh, every day. For fun, you know, I... Uh, I love to be outside. Uh, I love to cook. Uh, any opportunity I get to to try cooking new things, I take that. I love to exercise. I'm I'm married. Uh, I've been married now for coming up on 13 years and have three daughters, uh, ages 12, nine, and seven. And in terms of what I like to do for fun, the the most fun that I have is spending time with them and trying to stay as young as possible, keeping up with them. You are a saint, man. Twelve nine seven, three girls. That is a handful, but yeah. what, what a blessing to be able to be present for them. And yeah, most definitely we'll get into uh, some of the recovery reinvention stuff. Anybody who listened to the show uh, last year knows that I'm a, a yeah. big fan and a supporter of that. I think it's a very cool, very cool thing that's happening in our state um, that has some far reaching effects. So uh, we will most definitely get into that. Awesome. But with that, Jonathan, let's do what we came here to do, man. Um, let's talk a little bit about addiction and, and yeah. walk, walk that path with you. So let's start wherever you, uh, wherever you feel like the beginning is maybe your first exposure to, to alcohol, your first attempts, whatever, wherever you want to kick us off and we'll walk down the road. Yeah. You know, I, I grew up in what I um, would call maybe a typical Midwestern you know, household, uh, in Grand Forks here. And, um, you know, had a really good childhood, great parents, um, you know, sort of set me up with every opportunity to find success that I could. And I think, and I probably had typical exposure to alcohol in the high school years that you might have, right. Where there was weekend parties and things like that. And, you know, so I think high school was probably my first real exposure to alcohol. You know, unfortunately, it's it's a problem that we face in in North Dakota and other rural states with let's say la- sometimes lack of things to do uh, right where uh, you gravitate towards you know driving out on country roads with some alcohol and that's what you that's what you do so I think I had what I would call typical exposure to it in high school but it never got in the way of anything that I was supposed to be doing I mean I got good grades I you know participated in sports and. Um, and went on to, went on to college, you know, the college experience is a different one than the high school experience when it comes to alcohol. Right. So not living, not living at mom and dad's anymore, but I mentioned earlier that, you know, I've worked in the restaurant business, basically my, my entire adult life. And at the same time I started college, I, I also started working in restaurants and bars, um, you know, when I was 18 and, you know, I mean, like it or not, you know, the you know, having drinks and, and alcohol is, is, is a part of the culture in, in our industry. It just is, you know, I mean, it's just sort of standard practice that, you know, you work a shift and then you sit down and have drinks right afterwards, you know, with your coworkers. And I think as I look back on it now, I mean, that is really, I think when things started to maybe get a little bit unmanageable for me is that sort of increased, on a nightly basis. And, and, you know, you're also in an environment where it's sort of accepted to drink a lot. Right. Uh, so, so I think in those college years, that's when it started to, you know, right away in college for me to the point where, I mean, I dropped out of college. I don't, I don't have a call. I didn't finish. I, I decided I was going to work in restaurants and, and continue on that path. So I think looking back on it now, you know, as I, as I got into the restaurant and bar industry is when it really sort of took off for me. Um, and I, I worked in fine dining restaurants. So even, you know, learning about new wine and things like that, it's a part of the culture, right? So I think I could pawn off some of my heavy drinking as education, you know, um, <laughs> as like, you know, getting better at my job. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. We've had a lot of guests 
uh, in the service industry. And there's, uh, yeah, I think there, there's just no, no denying that just people who have worked it, there's been plenty of, um, you know, bios of like celebrity chefs and famous chefs who have come out and who have struggled with this. And it's, I think it's a, a known issue that's, you know, hopefully getting a little more light these days. Yeah. Uh, but I wanted to ask during those, so during those early years, maybe even, even in the high school years, like I, I can totally resonate with that rural North Dakota. It's just, I don't think that yeah. we're, I don't think that we're totally unique. I think it's urban Los Angeles. My, you know, they, uh-huh. they might be saying the same thing. Ah, you know, it's Probably. just what we do here in downtown LA, but yeah, I can definitely relate to that rural atmosphere. This is, this is what we do. It's just, it's, it's normal. And then going into the service industry, it's, you know, it's quote unquote normal. It's part of it. As you were kind of dipping into those worlds, did, did you ever have any observations about the way that you consumed versus your peers or uh, any observations about, about the, the, like the way that it felt, you know, part of it, I think there's, you know, there's some experimentation. It's just kind of going in yeah. with the fold, but also for some of us, there's when we experience that inebriation, it it does something. So mm-hmm. did you, did you, did you notice that you stood yeah. out or, 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 or was any different for you? I think I did. Uh, I think I noticed that things were a little bit different for me. And I also think that's the point when I started to hide it more. Right. So, you know, I mentioned, you know, work a shift, you sit down at the bar, you have a few drinks, you know, I had mentors in the industry that I saw doing that, that normalized it for me. But those mentors also had a point where they stopped and went home for the night. And I would typically go to the next bar or I would also go home, but keep the party going, you know? So I think I started to have moments of clarity, you know, when I'd come into work the next day and, you know, shoot the breeze with some of my coworkers and realize that I was the only one up till four in the morning last night. Right. Um, And, and that's why I was more sluggish at work. So I think I recognized early on that my uh, inability to stop was not normal that that there was something there that i just wanted to keep going until i passed out usually you know so yeah. that's that I, th- I think i realized early on that that was different didn't stop me <laughs> i mean i kept doing that for a long time right yeah so yeah it it does something weird in us when we can when we can look at someone and and you know we only know what we see right but when right but when we can see someone who's you know, as, as far as we can tell, they can regulate, they can mm-hmm. moderate, they can stop when they want to, it, when it seems like they have control. And then I don't know, we have that pull, like what, whatever it is to continue it's, Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, like you said, we can start to hide and that, I don't know, that just some switches start getting flipped. Yeah. I also think part of it for me, Chris, looking back on it, I think at that time in my life, you know, this is, I mean, we're talking you know, 25 years ago, I, I think I had a different, a totally different perception of what addiction was or addiction is and what alcoholism is. Right. And, you know, I think I had thoughts that, you know, people that really suffered from the disease of addiction, um, that it was always based in severe trauma. Right. And that if I didn't have that, well, then that's not me. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so I think, you know, I looked at it was, well, I'm keeping going and, you know, partying late into the night, not because I'm masking something necessarily, but because I just really like it. So, <laughs> and if I just really like it, I mean, is that, a, is that bad? Is that, that doesn't seem like you need treatment for really liking something. <laughs> right. So, so I think, you know, looking back, I, I just had different perceptions of that world of the addiction world versus where I was and they didn't mesh. And that prevented me from fully admitting that I'm a part of that group. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, one of the, I don't know if it's a benefit of youth, if that's the right way to put it when we're talking <laughs> about addiction, but yeah, it, some of those consequences can kind of be held back because yeah, we, we were enjoying it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we might be hung over, but there's, you know, that 20 something year old dude, Yeah, you can, I mean, you can bounce back a hell of a whole lot quicker than a 40 something year old guy. So you're like, yeah, this is not a problem for me. I can keep going. I can keep this up. It's not an issue. 
Exactly. And I also think that I had taught myself or coached myself into believing that I was in a phase, right? I mean, I had seen, you know, I'm, I'm 19 years old at this point, and I'd seen plenty of people go through the 18 to 22 year old college years of their life and be heavy drinkers during that time, and then emerge and get their professional job and go back to normal life. So I think I had you know, convinced myself that I was in, I was just in that phase. So it's nothing to worry about. Right. I mean, in three years, it'll all be over and whatever. I'll have fun now. And yeah, yeah. that clicks. There's a line I'll cross it eventually, but for today it's fine. Yeah. Well, let's, uh, let's keep walking this phase forward. You're, uh, no longer in school, still working restaurants, doing a a little bit of hiding. Um, yep. Keep us going. Yeah. So as I, uh, I continued to, and, and this, you know, looking back on it now is part of, was part of the problem, but you know, as my drinking continued to increase, so did my success in the restaurant industry, right? So I'm, I'm moving on and I'm getting promoted and I'm doing better and making, climbing my way, climbing, climbing the ladder in the restaurant industry as my drinking uh, is increasing at the same time. So I, you know, I got some great jobs managing wonderful restaurants and really learning the ins and outs of the business. And all the while, you know, again, convincing myself, well, if I'm getting promoted and getting good jobs, then obviously my drinking isn't a problem because people that have problems, they don't get promoted, right? They don't get Mm -hmm. those jobs. And then, you know, I had the opportunity to, to open my own restaurant, uh, when I was 27 and, and, uh, and that was a really exciting time in my life, but also a turning point for all of this too. So, you know, opened my first restaurant when I was 27 and it was successful and it was great. And it was, you know, I, I it's weird because I look back on like that first year of that restaurant being open and it's, I look back on it with incredibly fond memories and also incredibly painful memories, like all at the same time, because it was a great time and, and we were having success, but I also look back at that. Like that was the year when like it started to shit started to hit the fan. Right. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, 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 the way that I explain it to people is like, I all of a sudden was making my own schedule and I was making more money than I'd ever made before. And I had 24 seven access to booze. And those three things are a bad equation for an alcoholic. Right. And <laughs> And it did, it just didn't take long. I mean, before it, it just kept getting worse and kept getting worse. And now I started to get into the phases of knowing I needed to stop or knowing I needed to cut back as I was telling myself and even being told that I, you know, being told by people that I love that I need to cut back and not being able to. And that's when, you know, I started to have some pretty heavy realizations like, oh shit, you know, I'm, I'm in it here and don't know what to do. Yeah. You know, there's a, a, a thing that we hear a lot on this show is, is, you know, like you said, you, you didn't know, you know, you had this idea at a young age of this is what an alcoholic is. And for whatever reason, that oftentimes includes either bridges or doorways and some, and something in a paper bag. Yep. Uh, so we, yeah, yeah, we separate ourselves from that. And again, like you're, you're proving to yourself over and over and over again that, like, like this can't be me. You're a high performer. You're receiving promotions and then, you know, having opportunities at a, you know, a young age to be able to start, to start your own place. We have so many guests on the show who are high performers in their field. And that's the more time I spend in recovery. It's, you know, so many of us are, are like motivated, driven, successful, like intelligent, creative in, in so many ways, just like high performers. Yeah. And there's, you know, we have this, this thing in common. Do you think there is a part of you that was, you know, as you're working in the back of your mind, you know, that there's this issue and you're mm-hmm. proving to yourself and to the people around you, like, it can't be me. I'm not that it's not a problem for me because, and, mm-hmm. and here's, here's my resume. Here's, here's yeah. what I'm, here's what I'm achieving. No question about it. I, you know, again, like I, I think back, like the restaurant was doing well and, you know, so as some of the first conversations that people had with me about this, about like, Hey man, this is a little much here. I think I would point to that. Like what, you know, tell me what I'm neglecting, 
right? You know, and and as I look back on it, I mean, there was a lot of stuff I was neglecting, right? But I just didn't, I mean, you know, little things like, you know, before I got sober, I mean, I think like the two months before I got sober, I mean, I was wearing like the same hoodie every day, right? And like, you know, so like little things that I don't think I'm neglecting, uh, you know, because you just don't think about it, people are noticing it, right? So it just kind of became standard that I was just a half an hour late for work, you know, and but yeah, I think that absolutely was a part of it. So I didn't, you know, I hadn't had what you might think of as that sort of traditional rock bottom, right? I hadn't had this moment where, you know, I was in a jail cell thinking, what am I, what am I going to do next? I didn't, you know, I, I hadn't lost my job. I hadn't, I wasn't married and didn't have kids at the time. So I was, there wasn't a relationship that I'd lost. So it was challenging for me to, to think about how, could this be so bad because I couldn't point to any significant catastrophic damage that had been caused by my drinking. Mm -hmm. But I think, I mean, and I think the people that love me and that were seeing it knew that maybe that was the case, that there wasn't anything major yet that happened, but they were trying to get in front of that. Right. Saying like, look, we know what's next here, right? We've seen this movie and, you know, but I just, it was difficult for me to admit it because of the fact that I just hadn't had that happen to me yet. Yeah. What that, what that line looks like is, is different for, for a lot of us. It's, you know, what, who's in our life and what's in our lives. You know, if we, if we have a traditional family with a spouse, it's, mm-hmm. there's someone who's close and on the, on the inside. Right. Sometimes arrest some of that behavior or call it out or be observant. But if we're not, if we're not in that situation, that's a, a little different keep going forward. And, and I'd like to get to that point where like what it was that, yeah, uh, you know, talk us up to what it was that, that made you have that, you know, that, Oh, that opened that door for you. Like, yeah. Right, hey, this is something that's gotta, it's gotta change. Yeah. Well, you know, so you hear, you'll hear oftentimes in the recovery world that, you know, sometimes when someone doesn't or hasn't had a quote unquote rock bottom yet, that sometimes you need to create one. Right. And, you know, for me, it was, I had a meeting with my business partner and my dad and they sat me down and it had gotten to the point where, you know, I was, I mean, I had a 50, 50 business partnership still do today. uh, And I wasn't holding up my 50% of the, of the partnership. Right. And so my partner just said like, look, man, this isn't working. So either something changes or, you know, this partnership's going to end. And it's not going to be me leaving the business. It's going to be you. But I think, you know, my dad being a part of that meeting too, my dad is this, you know, sort of, you know, he's a Midwestern farmer who, you know, doesn't say a whole lot. You know, I don't, I can't think of a time when I was a kid when he raised his voice or anything like that. So because of that though, when he does speak up, like, you know, okay, he means business. And, you know, so stoic Norwegian Midwestern farmer, (laughs) sits down across from his son and says like, here's the deal. I love you and you are not well and you need to get better. And so like that moment for me, I'll, I'll never forget it. Like I'll never forget the look in his eye. I'll never forget what he was wearing. I'll never forget, you know, any of that was the eye opening moment for me. I was like, you know, if my dad is disappointed in me, not mad at me, but if he's disappointed me a little bit, the way I've been acting and he's concerned about my wellness. And if I'm in jeopardy of losing what I've helped build in this business, all right, maybe it's time. So we decided in that meeting right there that I was going to go to treatment and we started calling around and another eye-opening moment for me. I had, a, I had an all staff meeting on a Sunday. I was going to treatment on Monday. I had an all staff meeting on Sunday to tell my staff that I was leaving for treatment. And I thought that I was going to be, giving them this groundbreaking news that I had a problem. Right. Yeah. And, and I was telling, right. So I called the staff and I said like, Hey, uh, I'm leaving tomorrow. I'm going to be gone for at least 30 days and I'm going to a treatment center. And you know, my staff looked at me and were like, yeah, go like, hurry up. Like, what are you waiting for? <laughs> you know? So like, I'm thinking that, you know, they're all the last people to know. Right. But that was that to me, that like sealed the deal that I needed to do this. Right. Where it was clear. I had 20 people sitting around me that I had been employing that all looked at me and said, like, dude, 
finally it's about uh, time it's about time right so that to me was an eye opener like okay everybody knows here right because i'm just seeing these people in passing and in a very specific role and if people are seeing me just for glimpses in a day but they're able to discern that i have a drinking problem what are the people that are around me regularly and often like my family and my loved ones what do they think like it's bad and it's time for me to go yeah so that monday morning my dad drove me to project turnabout in granite falls minnesota walked in the door gave me a hug told me he loved me and i spent the next 30 days there as you and your partner and your your father were having having that conversation you know like what a blessing I, I, i'm sure it didn't feel like that in the moment but what a blessing to have people who care enough about you to kind of host that mm-hmm. inter, I, don't, I don't know if intervention is the right word but yeah, yeah. Right. but to but to like to call you and just be like hey we care about you and it's and yeah and we want you better the, you know there may be consequences if you if you don't i mean that's a that's a really tough spot for people to be in because there's mm-hmm. there's always you know you had a choice there you, for sure you didn't have to 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 choose to get help you could have kept going and mm-hmm. you know and they don't know but what a like what a blessing for you to to have people like that in your life as you were as you were in that moment and you're having that conversation because i'm sure we've had listeners who have have had similar conversations been on either end of them but you know as you're deciding okay i'm i'm going to go to treatment what sort of thoughts were you having like did you yeah in that moment did you really feel like you were ready or was this maybe going to be a little bit of a band-aid yeah i f- i think you know at the time i think looking back on it you know when you're in i mean when i was in full on addiction mode like you get to be a pro at you know saying whatever needs to be said to appease people right mm-hmm. so i had mastered that at that at this point and i think at that time it was you know i had a choice like you said, yes, but I probably looked at it like I didn't really have a choice. Like, you know, I wasn't going to lose my business over this. I didn't want, I mean, I didn't want my family gone, right? I didn't want them cutting me off. So I think at the time it was like, all right, I'll go do 30 days and we'll get people off my back, you know, and and then we'll determine what's going to be next, right? Mm -hmm. And I had friends at that point too that had gone to treatment and been sober for, two, three years, and then gone back to drinking and managed it. And I'd seen that and was like, oh, okay, well, that's probably just going to be me. Right. So I think at the time it was just, okay, you feel like I need to do this. This is what we'll do. But I think that changed pretty quickly when I got to treatment and started to get into the conversations with some of my peers and some of the counselors. I think it was like, okay, yeah, I definitely should be here and not just to check a box for my dad and my business partner, but because I'm ill, right? Yeah. And need some help with it. So, yeah, I remember going into treatment kind of with similar thoughts. Like, I, I, I just want to learn how to drink normal. Yeah. I just want to learn for, you know, how do I do this? And, it, and it's, you know, it doesn't start my whole world on fire. Well, and I, and I was also having, th- I mean, I was 27 at the time, you know, tw- you know, 28. I was 28 at the time when I went to treatment. I was also having thoughts of like, wait a second, I'm not married. Are you telling me that I'm like, not going to be able to have a glass of champagne at my own wedding. Like, you know, the, the thoughts of like what I, I hadn't, I hadn't been able to experience or put any thought around what this means for me long-term to not have alcohol in my life at age 28 for the rest of my life. But it seemed like bullshit to me, right? Like, come on. Like, so I, I, all of those, all of those feelings were there at that point when I got there for sure. Yeah. I think that fear keeps a lot of us in it. Yeah, for, for a, sure. It for does. a while, <clears throat> whether it's a wedding, maybe it's a freaking block party that yeah. you look forward to in the summer. It's like, ah, maybe after the block party, I'll think about it. Right. Right. <laughs> it's, it, yeah, it's wild. I, I think that's normal. It is. Um, what were some of the conversations or, or the lessons learned in treatment that kind of turned it for you and made you realize, oh shit, maybe there, there is something more here. Yeah. I think it was conversations that I had with my peers that revolved around feelings and, you know, so I, I, you know, you go into treatment I remember my first group setting, right? There's 12 of us sitting around in a circle and you're looking around you're like, I don't belong here. These people are all completely different from me. Right. Mm -hmm. 
So everybody's quiet, right? Your first couple of days in treatment, most people don't say anything, right? They just kind of listen and take it in. But I remember having side conversations with some of those guys that are completely come from completely different backgrounds and are in treatment because of a very different set of circumstances than mine. And we started to talk about like how we'd been, how we'd been feeling lately that it was the same. And I was like, well, wait a second here. We're, we're experiencing the same thing, you know? Um, so I think a lot of those, I mean, I had a, you know, my roommate at treatment was someone who was 25 years older than me. I think it was his sixth time in treatment. So, you know, you think, what do we have in common with this guy? But like, we had just some incredible late night conversations just about how alcohol had impacted our lives in a negative way. And, and for him, even sharing with me, he'd had a few stints of sobriety sharing with me how that had positively impacted his life. I think those were some of the turning points for me was just, uh, and, and frankly, you know, just creating deeper, meaningful connections with other humans, which has been a theme of my recovery. Uh, so that, you know, that has lasted 15 plus years now. Yeah. There's something about those moments where, where we, you know, for a lot of us, it's our, our first exposure to, to someone telling us like, not just like what they did or what they've been through, but like that, like that feeling talking mm-hmm. about the, the, those internal impacts of, of our behavior or the behavior of others. Yeah. And, and just really digging into like, like that hurt you know, a lot of times it's hurt, you know, it is that, you know, sitting in treatment when I was there was the first, you know, real time in my life that I could pinpoint where I had felt like a failure at that point. Right. I mean, I, I had felt like, okay, I had lost control and I had failed at something. And that was a new feeling to me. And the way out of that for me was being able to share with peers that being able to share that openly and have that be received and understood and shared back with me. That's how I was able to get through that really. Yeah. There's something very special about, uh, about a recovery space. I mean, I think there's, there's few, few places like it in the world. I think, you know, I don't know where I heard the same, but like bonds are forged in, in adversity and there's something about that, you know, talking about, you know, you and I may have totally different backgrounds, but, alcohol or substances did this did they did the same thing to us yeah on, on the inside they did the same thing and when sure. we get when we get to a place where we can where i can say hey this is this is how i was getting ripped apart and you can just tell looking in someone's eyes like they get it they've mm-hmm. you know they've been pulled apart the same way yes but, but the real beautiful thing is when we can take that next step and start to put things back together right did you did you do the end up doing like the full 30 did you yeah a little kicker on the end or get out i did the full 30 and then i did 30 in a in a sober living facility back in in my hometown afterwards and i did i think you know probably what most would consider just a sort of the traditional 12 step you know bunch of meetings and just kind of dove in and i think honestly like some of some of my competitive nature and some of the drive that i had which amplified and sped up my drinking before I got sober. I used those same qualities, I think, to my advantage in recovery and said, okay, if I'm going to, if I was wanted to be the best at drinking, best in quotation marks, right? (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I want to do the same thing in recovery, right? Like I want to, I want to go all in on this and I don't know if that's healthy or not. Maybe it's not, you know, but it worked for me, right? Where I, I wanted to, I wanted to just be accountable for it. I wanted to, you know, get as long uh, of a, uh, the the longest, you know, time and sobriety that I could. So I just have stayed competitive with it. I think maybe not as much as those first, uh, maybe hundred days in sobriety for me, but I still have a little bit of that in me, I think. So, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I think we're all wired a certain way and it's, you know, I think that's a, a, a huge benefit is to be able to figure out what sort of tendencies do I have and like, why fight them? Leverage those to our benefit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, w- let's talk about like those first hundred days, six months, first year. Um, what sorts of things were you, 
discovering about yourself? Did you have any huge aha moments? What just kind of walk through what that, you know, that first year or those beginning milestones, yeah. what sorts of things were happening with you externally in your life internally? Yeah. I think externally I had one really, really important discovery early on in my recovery, right? When I got home from treatment and that was, I, I made the decision that I was going to be open and out about the fact that I had just been through treatment and I was now sub sober. So I shared that with, you know, my employees knew, but I shared that with my family, my friends, my customers at the restaurant that asked me, Hey, we haven't seen you in a month. You know, where have you been? And I told them, right. And the really important discovery for me, which really has, it still drives a lot of the work that I do today was the fact that I got all positive comments from people when I shared with them that I had gone to treatment and I'm sober. And that was just really important for me because, you know, when we talk about shame and stigma and feelings of missing out on parties and things like that, a lot of that just subsided maybe more quickly than I think it does for a lot of people. And there's a lot of different reasons for that, right? I mean, where you live and, you know, who your friends are, right? But but that was really important for me for two reasons. Number one, like I said, it eliminated some of that and you know, any shame that I might have been feeling at that point, or at least reduced it significantly. But it also just created a level of accountability for me. That and I think that's why I did it, right? In the first place was uh, I knew that I had the capability to go back to drinking. I knew that I could probably hide it and do it well, you know, hide it well. But I figured if I told everybody about it, then it would be really, really hard for me to go back to it without, uh, you know, people calling me out on it. So that was sort of an extra tool that I used. But so I think like externally, like that was just a really important thing for me. Internally, you know, I think a lot of the feelings that I had about myself that I had prior to me um, getting uh, drinking a lot. So feelings of confidence that I had about myself, like back in high school, about being able to accomplish things. And uh, a lot of that, you know, goes away, I think, with alcohol, especially when you start to, you know, for me, like I tried to quit on my own a number of times before going to treatment, just couldn't do it. So a lot of that confidence goes away. But I think I started to gain a lot of that back uh, just in terms of like, okay, you know what, going to treatment for 30 days isn't easy, but I did it. I accomplished it. So Maybe I can accomplish other things, right? And so I think I just, just general confidence was something that I gained back. And, you know, I gained in treatment. My wife and I and my kids talk about this a lot. I gained a soft, mushy side that I didn't know that I necessarily had that. I mean, like I'm a feelings guy now, right? So like, uh, we're going to talk about feelings if we're hanging out, we're, you know, we're going to hug it out. Like, that's something that I think is really special to me that, that I gained through the treatment process that I've held on to as well. What a cool thing to be able to discover parts of ourselves that, that I think, that I think we're always there, but maybe mm -hmm. we, we covered them up with stuff, right? We For sure. protected ourselves, but to be able to get to a place where we can open that up and yeah, there's something cool about being able to that, especially like that sensitive side to be able to, yeah. to, to tap into that. And it, I think it allows us to to show up for show up for people, show up for our family, for our friends, our coworkers in a in a, in a whole nother way. And it doesn't feel like a threat to my masculinity or anything like right? that, right? I mean, like, so it's yeah, it's good. I, I'm unapologetic about that side of me for sure. Amen to that. You know, and I think that when you were talking about that external part to the the accountability, that's um, that's something we talk a lot about. Um, we use the term, uh, burning the ships recovery elevator did not come mm -hmm. up with that term, but it's that, you know, <laughs> like, uh, back to the conquer the, anyway, we won't get into the geopolitics of that, uh, but burning the ship. So there's no way, there's no way, yeah. right. Like I can't, I can't turn back. And I, I think that's an important step and, and it's a very personal step that, that people need to make on their own. I'm not going to say that sure. my way or your way is the right way for everybody, but I think it's a really important step. And, you know, I, I truly believe that we as people in recovery have the ability to set the tone of that recovery when we do that. 
mm-hmm. you know, I can, you know, when I get a new coworker or when I meet someone new, I can be like, Hey, I used to drink like seven cases of beer a week and I pissed my pants a lot and like things right. didn't go good. Yeah. And so now I can't like, that's depressing. Mm-hmm. And this guy or gal is going to be like, okay, so don't drink around him and don't talk about it because it's super awkward and weird. <laughs> right. Right. But you know, there's a whole nother way that we can, for sure, that we can open up about it, that, that just say, Hey, this is a, a choice or this is something that I've done mm-hmm. and it's, this is where I am today and it's, and I'm okay with it. And yep. you should find a way to be okay with it too. Agreed. Um, I think that's empowering. I think it empowers other people too, because there's a lot of people out there who are still in it. Totally. And, and hearing those, you know, you talked about shredding that shame and hearing other people living this out loud. It's, it inspires hope. I mean, that's what we're doing here, right? Yeah. And you know, I mean, I get to do that. Part of my job is I get to talk to people almost daily that are struggling and wanting to, wanting to quit drinking or using drugs and they don't know where to go and don't know if they can do it. And it's one of the first things that I tell them usually is they, you know, I want you to know there's, I I know that there's two feelings that you're probably feeling right now. One of those is shame and you're worried about what other people are going to think of you. The second is that you're worried that you're going to miss out on a bunch of exciting parts of life. And I can tell you without question that every single comment that I've ever gotten when I've told people that I'm sober has been positive, that people are congratulatory and proud. They take this level of pride in you, even if you don't know them well. So that's one thing. And the second thing is I've, I don't, I don't, I haven't missed out on shit. I mean, that's important since I've gotten, so, I mean, my life has been so much more fun since I, since the alcohol has been gone. So those are two of the first things that I tell people because I know, cause I was there mm-hmm. that those things are lingering in their head and that those are probably some of the reasons that they're not getting the help that they, they need. So true. So incredibly true. Uh, let's talk. You know, we've got a few minutes before we get to rapid fire. Yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, uh, you know, recovery reinvented. How, how did you get involved with this organization? You know, and we've had the first lady Catherine on uh, a mm-hmm. few years ago. So we've talked a little bit about it, but let's talk about how did you get involved with recovery reinvented and what does, what does it mean to you? What does this, what does this look like for you? Yeah, I, I was involved um, from the beginning. So the Recovery Reinvented, the Office of Recovery Reinvented was created by Governor Burgum through executive order back in 2017. And as a part of that, there was an advisory council that was appointed of six North Dakotans from different walks of life that would sort of advise this startup new government office on the work that they're doing. And I was one of the fortunate ones to be asked. By that point, I'd been more public about my story. So it had appeared in some some statewide media and things like that. Um, so uh, I was asked to be involved uh, on the advisory council and and took on that role, which was great. And you know, got to know the governor and first lady through that. And then two years ago, I was asked to be a speaker, a uh, keynote speaker at Recovery Reinvented when it was out in Bismarck and share my story and and did that. And and then last year um, the. The director of the office, who'd been there since the beginning, got a new incredible opportunity and she was moving on. And she called me and she said, we're going to need a new director. So if you know of anybody, uh, let me know. And I said, well, tell me about the job. So she told me about the job. And I said, well, I want that job. <laughs> that sounds like a great job. Uh, and, and, you know, and I'd been feeling, Chris, since since I spoke at the conference and I'd been sharing my story more publicly, I think I'd been feeling this pull to be working in this space in some capacity. I just didn't know what. So this opportunity, when it came up um, just over a year ago, when it presented itself, I jumped at it. And and it's been life-changing in a number of ways. That's very cool, man. Seize that. <laughs> yeah. If it's, if it's out there, grab it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was at that. I was at that conference in Bismarck. You did, I mean, you did a fantastic job and I just think it's, I think it's cool to see, you know, in our little state, you know, we talked about at the beginning of this show, how normal it is. And again, like, I don't think we're, I don't think we're totally unique, but it's like, what a, what a part of, what a part of life it is, especially, you know, in these rural communities and to see some leadership in our, in our state, you know, starting with, you know, the, the 
first lady of our state. I yeah, you know, I got I got sober in when did I get sober? 2017. Yeah, that sounds about right. Uh so <laughs> kind of, you know, like as I was entering recovery, seeing this thing kind of start to happen. And I remember it catching my attention. The first lady of the state is yeah, like open about a recovery. Like I know, what, like what a cool thing. Yeah. It, it, and you know, the premise of recovery reinvented, you know, it's, we're not a treatment provider, right? It's the, the sole mission is to eliminate shame and stigma of the disease of addiction. And the reason why is because we know that that is probably the biggest barrier from, for people from getting the help that they need, right? Is yeah. what people are going to think of them and are they going to be outcasts? So if we can eliminate that piece of it, we know that it can save lives. So it's, it's been really special to to tell stories and help tell stories of of North Dakotans that are in recovery and to point people in the right direction. And uh, it's just it's been really it's just a, it's an honor to be a part of it. Well, it's uh, it's a very cool thing, man. And, I, and I'm grateful for the work that you and everybody in that office does They do a fantastic job. I'm excited for the the upcoming conference this year. I'm definitely going to plug this as it gets closer. It will be sure. a little ways out, but uh, can you let us know when and where the, the the conference will be this year if people want to put it on their calendars? Yeah, absolutely. So this year, October 5th, which is a Thursday in Minot, North Dakota. First time holding it in Minot. It'll be on the campus of Minot State University. Uh, we have some incredible keynotes lined up. Uh, registration will go you know, live probably the first week in August, uh, recoveryreinvented.com. And, and, you know, and it's free and open to the public. And if you, if you're not in a position to travel to Minot, it's live streamed on our website all day long. So, uh, you just got to register and you can tune in as well. So we're, we're excited. Yeah. Put it on your calendars folks. And, uh, I can, again, I can say without a doubt that I will, I will make sure to give you guys, uh, listeners, I'll make sure to give you guys reminders as, as that event gets closer, because I it is yeah, fully it's not a behavioral it. health traditional conference as you might think of it, right? So we're not. This is not an academic thing. Like this is a day long celebration of recovery. So so it's 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 a pretty cool day usually. Some amazing storytellers, some speakers. There's people with lived experience, pe- uh, professionals. Yeah, and even if you're not, I mean, obviously North Dakota is the best, right? But <laughs> if you're <laughs> 49 other states like what the hell are you talking about um <laughs> but even if you're not uh even if you're not a resident uh, like jonathan said it's free uh, yeah so it's it, it's an amazing thing so uh, last year we had people tuned in from 28 states and four different countries so we'd like to increase that even more this year right on well we're going to do our best here at recovery elevator to uh to help spread the word but with that jonathan we are in the rapid fire round in 30 to 60 seconds i'm gonna ask you a few questions sir are you ready i am ready let's do it right what was your biggest fear as you were thinking about quitting drinking uh fear of missing out fear of not having enough to do pesky old fomo Mm-hmm. what is a positive that you did not expect in your life without alcohol having more deep meaningful relationships with people i did not expect that but uh it's it's not about having more friends it's just about having better friends and my relationships that i've that i've gained with people are just awesome because of not having alcohol in my life one of the best parts amen what is your go-to alcohol-free drink oh i have a lot of them so i mentioned at the very beginning on a coffee shop so i may like drink coffee from 7 a.m until i go to bed type person so it's coffee for me but I also love, I just love a good fresca. Fresca? That's a throwback, man. <laughs> There's no wrong answers here. <laughs> what is your plan in sobriety moving forward? Plan is to, uh, you know, take every day to build deeper relationships with people. And, and my plan is to share my story publicly in hopes that something resonates with someone else. We know that there's just tens of thousands of people across this country that are just on the cusp of getting the help that they need. So we just want to help give nudges to try to get them there. Give them nudges. I love it. Uh, what's your favorite resource in recovery? This could be a book, an app, a program, a website, anything. 
You know, one of the things, for many, many years, I've used an uh, an app called I Am Sober that the the part that I like about it and that I check almost every week is there's a savings calculator on there that shows how much money I've saved by not drinking alcohol. And uh, it is staggering and a good reminder for why I need to not go back to alcohol again. So I check that savings calculator every week for sure. I love it. (laughs) What parting piece of guidance can you give to our listeners who are early in recovery or thinking about getting sober? Everything that is good in my life today is in my life because alcohol is not. I mean, I can, every single thing that is good in my life, I can point to my recovery as the reason for that being in my life. So it's worth it. Good word. And last, but certainly not least, can you give listeners your favorite you might need to ditch the booze if line. You might need to ditch the booze if you can't keep track of your own lies anymore. I mean, that's where it was for me. I couldn't remember who I'd lied to anymore about what. So if you can't keep track of those, it's time. Keep short list, man. <laughs> Jonathan, thank you for uh, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, and thank you for the work that you're doing. Uh, excited to see you again in October. and. Uh, like I said, recovery elevator, as it gets a little closer, we will, uh, on my end, I'm going to make sure to push this event. Cause I, cause I believe in it and I believe in what you guys are doing. Uh, grateful for you. Thanks, Chris. And thanks to you and the whole recovery elevator team for the work that you do every day too. Uh, it's really important and grateful for you as well. Can't wait to see you again soon. Glad to be in this space. Awesome. Later brother. Recovery elevator. Thanks for listening. And thank you, Jonathan, for coming on the show. You're going to help a lot of people today. Like we mentioned in the interview, Jonathan is the Managing Director of the Office of Recovery Reinvented. In episode 346, I interviewed Catherine Burgum, North Dakota's first lady who started this office. Last year, I had the opportunity to perform five short-form interviews on stage during their annual event, and you can hear those replayed on episode 406. This year's conference is right around the corner. On October 5th at Minot State University in Minot, North Dakota, the seventh annual Recovery Reinvented will be taking place. State and national addiction experts will share their insight on how to turn advocacy into action. This event is dedicated to ending the shame and stigma surrounding the disease of addiction. The experience will be hosted by Governor Doug Burgum and First Lady Catherine Burgum and will be free for both in-person attendees and online via live stream broadcast. This will be the third year I'm attending in person, and I cannot wait to go. If you plan on attending the event, shoot me an email at chris, that's K-R-I-S, at recoveryelevator.com, and I'd love to meet up. If you can't make it to North Dakota, I get it. But like I said, the whole event will be broadcast. However you'd like to attend, make sure you head on over to www.recoveryreinvented.com and register. One last note about the event. Last year, Dr. Bruce Perry, who co-authored the amazing book, What Happened to You, with Oprah, was one of the speakers. To paraphrase what he said, we can get all the scientists we want and all the labs around the world doing all the research about addiction, but what really moves the needle in people's hearts is the stories. It's when we hear what others have been through and can relate it to our own experience That's how we can improve knowledge about addiction and access to the help that people need. That's what this event does. It's not just panels of experts sharing data. The data is important, but Recovery Reinvented bridges the gap and helps make that heart connection too. I cannot recommend it enough. And also, it doesn't hurt that it's completely free. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. You can do this. I love you guys.